morning, everyone. How's everybody handling fall? Finally arrived for a day or two, and then it's gone again. Um, before we begin, let's just open in a word of prayer. Our gracious Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather and worship you as your people, to open up your word and hear from you what you want of us, how you want us to live in this world, how you want us to interact with the people around us. Help us, Father, to be diligent in prayer. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We have been seeing in this very short series, uh, Cultural Wars, how the Christian and the non-Christian, uh, while we have similarities in our experiences, yet by very, our very nature, we are different. We have a different hope, a different expectation. We worship a different God. We worship the one true God, and they substitute that worship with lots of other things. And I think we can often become overwhelmed with the influence of the culture around us, whether it's through the internet, whether it's through the music, whether it's through art and movies, the TV, the newspaper, whatever. We can be overwhelmed and we can almost have this moment where we, we look up to God and say, why is all of this going on? Has anyone ever wanted to shout that from time to time? Why is this happening? Why are you letting this happen? And then you start reading through some of the things in Scripture that we've actually talked about in this series, and especially in First and Second Thessalonians, and we see how when the end comes, there's going to be some tough things. There's going to be some trials. There's going to be some tribulations. There's going to be some real physical persecution of believers by the hands of the unbelievers. And there is no one that's going to protect us in this world. That can kind of make you feel not just depressed, but you just want to give up. I'm not talking about suicide. I'm talking about why even fight this anymore? Lord, come. Just end it. Just get rid of this. Influence how, how the world is being treated, how people are being treated. Why don't you, we just, why don't we just give up? Because it doesn't even look like we have a lot of influence anymore. We used to have amazing influence in this nation. The church nowadays, it's the butt of jokes. And it is persecuted. The media and politicians try to put restrictions on the very basic of what it means to be a church, gathering together and worshiping. They have no regard, no interest in serving and honoring God. And you can get this brief moment in which you say, is it still worth it? The fight, the fight, is it still worth it? In the book of Luke, in the 17th chapter, you can turn to Luke, we're going to look at chapter 18, but the end of chapter 17 is super important to set the context. Because at the end of chapter 17 of Luke, Jesus is asked the question, when is the kingdom of God going to come? And maybe that's a question that we're kind of thinking to ourselves too. When is God's kingdom going to come? And Jesus basically says, listen, 
It's not a physical kingdom. You're not going to see it. It's not, I'm, I'm not coming as a king to rule and reign here on this earth. Uh, and, and, and he goes on and talks about how terrible it was during the days of Noah. The flood came and people were eating, drinking, and having a great time, and then destruction came. And he said the same thing happened in Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot, that there are these punctuated moments in history where destruction comes. And it may feel like we're headed towards those moments of destruction, not just against the church, but against our culture and society in general. Violence, hate is the new message of the day. And you might hesitate for a moment and go, I wish it was all over. Just let it be gone. And then Jesus gives us a parable at the beginning of Luke chapter 18. He starts in verse 1. He says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Right on the heels of a chapter that talked about devastation, destruction, martyrdom, suffering, all throughout the world, pain and agony and trials and devastation worldwide, cataclysmic devastations like the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus' message to his disciples, to us, is you got to keep praying and don't give up. Don't fall into that all is lost. It's hopeless. There's no influence. There's no way that we can be salt and light. There's no way this world will turn around. There's no way the media will be our friends. There's no way, and you can fill in the blank, and you can get so overwhelmed with the negative that Jesus says, you need to stop that, and there are two things that you need to keep in your mind. You need to keep this central, central practice of prayer ever-present. And you have to have that mentality, never give up. And then Jesus explains the parable, starting in verse 2. He says, in a certain town, nondescript, it's a parable. The details don't matter, it's the principle that matters. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared not God nor cared about what people thought. I wonder if Jesus was thinking about judges today. No, he was thinking about judges in his day. Judges that did not fear God and didn't care about other people. Didn't care what they thought, didn't care what uh, their motives were. They didn't fear God. That is a desperate person. A person who does not fear God. Fearing God is not only healthy, it is commanded. Fear the Lord your God. Fear Him, that there should not just be this sense of worshiping Him, but this sense of He is wholly different than we are. He is not created. He is not made of flesh and bones. He is not dependent upon oxygen. He is holy and triune and absolute. And have a relationship with someone like that puts me at a disadvantage because I am weak. I am not as strong as I think. I am not as smart as I think. He is smarter. He is stronger. He is bigger. He is braver. He is more true to his character than any of us could imagine. And in theology, there is this beautiful term called 
transcendent, that he is very different than you and I. He is not like men and women. He is not bound to space and time. He is otherworldly, meaning he transcends our experiences and our limitations. He is without boundary. He's powerful. Scripture describes him as not just mighty, but what? Almighty. He's not just strong, he's all strong. He's just not smart, he's all knowledge and wisdom. And he's not just good, he's perfect. And to live in a world that he's created, that he sovereignly rules over, that he says to every inch of creation, I am your God, and to say you have no place in my life, I totally disregard you, I'm not paying attention to you, I won't listen to your law, I won't even acknowledge you exist, and every breath I take, I fight against who you are. And the fact that you call me to holiness. And here's a judge, someone in civil authority in that town, who had the responsibility of ruling between right and wrong, and he cares for nothing about right or wrong. He doesn't care about God's standard or us standard. He's in it for himself. He doesn't even care what other people think. How fair do you think that judge will be when you ask him to make a decision on your behalf? Fairness is out the window. There's no fairness in his mind. It's what he wants at the moment. Fairness comes in when you consider God, and God wants you to be fair in judging something like he did with Solomon time and time again giving him that wisdom to make that discernment. This guy isn't discerning God, not dependent upon God, not dependent upon anything but himself, what he wants in the moment. It may speak volumes to what we may be facing. People who in the moment decide what they want without any consideration for what's right, for what's fair, and what God has said. No consideration for what God has said. So this is the judge. And in verse 3, we have a call for justice. And there was a widow in that town, someone vulnerable. A widow in these days did not have Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid to depend upon. No, 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 no. There was no public assistance or help at all. When you were widowed, that was on you. You better hope you have some family and nice people that want to take care of you because the government's not stepping in to help at all. It's all on you. Talk about vulnerable. Talk about insecure. Talk about someone who is living with uncertainty. This was the person. And Scripture has so much to say about the widow and the orphan to the church to provide and help when family is not there. But this person, as we see here in this text, is by themselves, a widow. There was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. 
grant me justice against my adversary. She had been wronged. I don't, the parable doesn't tell us what happened. The parable just tells us the result of that encounter. She was wronged. She was harmed. She was mistreated. Something unfair happened to her, and she went to the judge for help. That's the only person that could help. She couldn't rely upon anyone else. I'm going to tell you a quick story. Growing up in Chicago, our house that we lived in had termite problems. Okay? We just found out one day we had termite problems, and we called an exterminator. The exterminator came in, did a treatment. Uh, but in the process of doing the treatment for our house to get rid of the, um, the termites, uh, they drilled into the foundation, their concrete foundation, and every time it rained, guess what happened through those little holes every 18 inches along the foundation? Water came in. And uh, my mom, who was a widow, and my grandmother, who was a widow, living in the same house, called the exterminating company over and over and over and over and over again. I cannot tell you the number of months and years it took to get anything addressed. It was pitiful. Every time it rained, I got out the wet vac and vacuumed up the carpet. In fact, it got so bad we would just tear the carpet up, throw it away downstairs because it was a, uh, uh, we lived in the basement as well. I mean, it was a finished basement, so it was a very nice basement, but they just drilled holes in the, the foundation and they wouldn't fix it. And probably about two years into this, every time it rained, we'd have a flooded basement. Uh, my mom finally just said, I, I don't know what else to do. I mean, I have called everyone possible. She even got to the secretary of the CEO of the company. It's a national company. And got nowhere. She was telling her brother, my uncle, this story about how, you know, she doesn't know what else to do. Uh, didn't have the money to fight it in court type of thing. And uh, so she just told him one day, I I'm just so tired of trying to get an answer from this company to fix the problem they created. And um, he said, okay, give me a minute. So he called, and I am not exaggerating when I say about 10 minutes later, the CEO of the company called my mom. And immediately apologized, immediately said he would set it straight. That day, a regional representative from that company met, met us at our house, and they completely redid everything, replaced the carpet, the walls, everything, including fixing all the holes that they had drilled into our uh, system. And I remember my mom turning to me during this process and said, isn't it sad that I had to call your uncle to get this fixed when I have been calling for almost two years to get the problem fixed. No one would listen to me. But one call, one phone call from your uncle took care of it. And that, that made me feel extremely vulnerable as a kid, thinking, well, my mom can't protect me. I mean, she's amazing, but we can't even get a water problem fixed without a man calling another man to get it fixed, who threatened, and who is very authoritative, threatening to sue them. Then he would answer the phone and return our phone call and fix the problem. 
it felt as if we were living this parable. In verse 4, it tells us that for some time he refused. The judge refused the widow. Refused not the phone calls, but refused the plea. Refused the knocking at the door. Refused every step of the way. I'm not paying attention. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Don't bother me with this. We felt that with that extermination company. Don't want to deal with it. Don't want to hear it. You're just whining and complaining. Not our fault. Not our problem. But finally, he said to himself, even though I do not fear God or care what people think, the guy was self-centered to the core. How he became a judge in the first place, we're not told, but I can't imagine it was because he was voted in with popularity. Probably in those days, it was a position of power and money, so he paid to get himself into that role. He goes, even though I don't fear God, even though I don't care about what people think, Yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, what an attitude, right? Here she is, vulnerable, the most vulnerable of society, all by herself, needing help against people who have taken advantage of her, abused her, whatever it might be, whatever that injustice is. He thinks it's still a bother. No compassion for that person. Zero compassion. Zero interest and how to make that person well and whole and healthy again. Instead, it's just a bother. Yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come <laughs> and attack me. Where did that come from? That's his mindset, though. That's the world he operates in. That's his heart. That's the culture he resides in. If you don't give what you want, you fight for it. You take it to the man and you attack. I have no idea, but most of the widows that I have met that are in this probably condition probably are not your fighters. Probably not the one that's going to go out and attack a judge. So it's clear he has no understanding of the condition that people are going through. He has one mindset, his mindset. If I don't get what I want, I attack for it. And so he's afraid the widow's going to attack him and get him. And so he decides in her favor to deal with the injustice. He continues and says in verse 6 how Jesus now gives us the meaning behind that parable. The parable of the unjust judge or the persistent widow who had a need and kept going and saying, help, 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 help. And the judge, who was self-centered, feared not God, didn't care about what people thought, had no compassion for them, feared for his own safety, so decided in her favor to help her. Jesus says, I'll tell you exactly what all this means for you. He says, listen to what the unjust sa judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? The answer, of course, is no. Verse 8, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus does make a connection here between the judge and God. 
But God and this judge in this parable are radically different. He's not unjust. And he kind of gives us that understanding that even if the judge did this, eventually, because of the persistence of this widow, for whatever reason he had, but eventually he did it, will God not do that too? And of course the answer is, yes, of course he will. Of course he's going to answer. But what did the widow do? The widow kept coming and coming and coming at the very start of the parable, did not give up, and continually prayed went before God and said, help, help, help. And Jesus says that very thing. He says, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? No, of course he won't. If an unjust, selfish, non-God-fearing man will eventually answer a poor widow's plea for help, how much quicker and better will God do it for his own children? when they're suffering. But it's on God's children to call out and say, God, help, help, help. There's two beautiful passages in Psalms. Well, there's 150 beautiful chapters in Psalms. But I just want to mention uh, two very quickly in Psalm 39. In Psalm 39, verse 15 through 18, uh, I'm sorry, Psalm 34. Fifteen through 18, it says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. So you're crushed. So you're downtrodden. So you feel like a widow who no one pays attention to. So you feel broken. So you feel oppressed. So you feel down and out. You're in a good spot. You know why? Because God hears you. God listens to you. God is intently knowing what you're going through. And he says, cry out to me. I will listen. I will pay attention. I will give you the hearing that you need. And the beautiful thing Scripture tells us time and time again is that he will do that at any time and at any place. It doesn't matter where you are at in your spiritual life. It doesn't matter where you are in this entire universe. God hears the cry of his chosen people and says, Come, I'll listen. What are you going through? All too often, though, all too often, instead of running to the Father and saying, Help, we run to other people and we do what? Complain. <laughs> you should have seen this, or what about this going on, or what about that going on? And we have an easy job going to people and complaining about how our life is being upset, and how we don't think life is fair, and how this happens and this happens and no one cares. Instead of going to the Father who says, I'm going to listen to you. I will pay attention to you. I hear your cry. 
So I think it's okay to cry out to God and say, help. We can cry out to God and say, I feel like giving up. We can cry out to say, and God, it's overwhelming. I can't handle another day. I can't handle another moment. I can't handle another disappointment. I can't handle another broken relationship. Help. Go to the one who says, I'll help. Go to the one who says, I'll listen. Oh, it's beautiful. In Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4, oh, an amazing, an amazing moment in Hebrews chapter 4. The writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, he's talking about Jesus, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. So different than that judge. He didn't care about your weaknesses. He didn't care about empathizing. He had no compassion. He just didn't want to get bothered anymore because he was afraid he was going to get attacked by the widow. And so he gave her justice. God's not like that. God says, you have a high priest who knows what you're going through, who himself cried out to God, take this cup from me. Take the pain of the cross from me. Is there another way to redeem your people? Please, it's going to be suffering. Help. He cried out to the Father. He did exactly what we should be doing when faced with an overwhelming challenge, which nowadays is just getting up in the morning. It's crying out to God. Crying out to God. And the writer of Hebrews says, you don't understand how good you've got it. You've got someone who listens to you who knows exactly what you're going through. Wow. Compassion. He goes on and says, he's able to empathize with your weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us, therefore, approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. We should never hesitate to cry out to God, help. You may have to cry out to God, I got no clue what I'm going through, God, but it hurts. I have no answer because I have no idea how I'm really suffering. It just hurts. I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's painful. Help. What an honest prayer. What an honest acknowledgement that you need God. Especially when you go, I have no idea what I need, but life hurts. Help. Do you think God's going to listen to that prayer and say, oh, that's such a basic prayer. I don't have time for something that basic. They don't even know what they're going through. Figure out what you're going through, then come tell me, and we'll deal with it. How many times, as a boss and to a boss, I've been told, well, don't come to me unless you know what the problem is. You know, once you know what the problem is, then we can deal with it. God says, it doesn't matter. You don't need to know what the problem is. 
You're hurting, you're suffering, you're sad. This is going on in your life. Come to me. Come to me. And at the very end of that parable, Jesus asked that question. When the Son of Man returns, he's talking about his second coming, will he find faith on the earth? Well, if he finds us, I'm going to raise my hand and say, yes, he's going to find faith. That's a call to action. That's a call to you to be faithful. That's a call to you to say, this faith is more than just words. It's my life. I live it. Well, how do we demonstrate we have faith in God? Very simply, you cry out to him. In the last minutes of the service, I know it feels really weird and uncomfortable, but we're going to remain silent. Actually, I guess it's me. I'm going to remain silent. You're already being silent. Because I want you to pray. I'm not going to ask for a volunteer to stand up and pray out loud. So, whew, all right, good. The pressure's off. It's you and God. It's you and God. And I want you to take this moment, and I want you to honestly and sincerely look up to heaven and say, God, Life is really different than it was a year ago. Really different. Show me that you are a God who listens and you are compassionate towards me. Strengthen me so that I can live this day, this one day, to your glory. May I be faithful in doing what you've called me to do today. And tomorrow, if you want to make that prayer yours, make it your prayer tomorrow. But today, for the next few minutes, we're going to sit in silence. No music. We're going to sit in silence, and we're going to take a moment to connect with God as our Father and say, help me. My faith is weak. The world has gone to hell in a handbasket. I feel fear at every Every time I turn on the news, I feel fear. What's going to happen next? We don't live like that. We have a heavenly Father who can sympathize with us and say, come to me, you are heavy and weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will be your peace that surpasses all understanding. Let's pray. Then I'll close us after we're done. Father, we come before your throne knowing that you are not only a God who hears us, but you are a God who understands exactly what we're going through. Your son lived a life that had a lot of trials and many temptations, yet he never sinned. Help us to walk in that type of faith, Father. 
a faith that can move mountains, a faith that can change cultures, a faith that can bring us peace that is insurpassable. Help us, Father, to walk in faith and not in fear. Help us, Father, to live victoriously and not in doubt. Help us, Father, to focus on the greatness of heaven above and not just simply the uncomfortableness of this life. Father, we want you to find faith in us whenever you return, whether it's today or years from now. We want to be faithful. We fear you. We honor you. We rest in you. May your name be praised and glorified through our actions and through our words. May you find in us people of prayer and faith. And may we be salt and light to a world that feels like it's crumbling around us. Not for our own strength, but may we point others to you. And we pray this in your Son's perfect, blessed, holy name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Don't take for granted your opportunity to pray at any moment. God never is weary or grows tired of your communication with him. He's not promised to give you a solid, clear answer the first time you pray. This widow had to come again and again and again and again and again. And God may ask you to come again and again and again and again. Stay persistent in crying out to God those heart prayers that are on your mind. Until next week, keep praying and don't give up.